Well, if you would, I'd invite you to grab uh, the inserts uh, out of your bulletin, as I've been asking you to do uh, week in and week out. Uh, We continue our study this morning in the book of Proverbs. We've been here for a, a few months And if you've been here any this summer, uh, you know that we've been working through this book of wisdom topically rather than sequentially. And that's because, as I've noticed before, uh, the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, uh, conveys that wisdom in short, we might say pithy, but powerful statements. Statements about how the world works as we look around us and just observe the world as Solomon and the other writers of this book observe the world around them. Or how it should work. How the world should ideally work. How God made it to work. And Proverbs is one of those books that if you just sit down and open it up and and start reading it, it's easy to get lost in the trees. And I've tried to help us, it's been difficult at times, but I've tried to help us avoid getting lost in the trees in these individual short statements by doing two things. And one is always reminding us of the forest, to use that same picture, that same analogy. And what is the forest of the book of Proverbs? It's It's stated at the very beginning of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the forest is what we keep before us week in and week out, is that we're called to live in the fear of the Lord. And we live in the fear of the Lord by by being captured and controlled by who He is. By the power of the Spirit of the risen Jesus Christ, which resides in each of you. That's... That's the big picture. That's the forest. But then secondly, in order that we might not get lost in the trees, I've tried to, to, in a sense, clump the trees into groves. I'm just running with this picture. I'm just running with it. And so we've looked at a grove of Proverbs concerning relationships. And we've looked at a grove of Proverbs concerning our wealth. And a grove of Proverbs concerning our plans versus God's purposes. And a grove of Proverbs concerning our words. And we've taken those groves and we've launched into a discussion on each of those topics. And really, I've tried to bring in the whole counsel of God and not just, not just uh, resigned ourselves to Proverbs alone, but to bring in all the Scriptures to look at what does the Bible teach? What is wisdom in regard to these things? Well, today we continue, and I'm going to make it even more complex today because we're going to look at three different clusters of trees rather than just one grove this morning. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about uh, characters, different characters that are brought up. Three characters show themselves this morning. The simple, the hothead, and the sluggard. The simple, the hothead, and the sluggard. And so in a way, this sermon is comprised of three mini-sermons, all bunched up into one. But I trust that uh, the Lord will use it, and there will be a little something to speak to each of us this morning. And it's my hope that as we look at this 
these characters as we look at what God calls us to in terms of wise living. That the Lord will help us, help you diagnose those areas. Those areas that need to be rooted out and changed as you live in the fear of the Lord. If you look at your insert, there's a lot of Proverbs there. Rather than reading through all of them at the very outset, I'm just going to read through the first couple uh, that we're going to cover, and then I will return and read the rest of the Proverbs as we get to them. Um, That will, I think, help in terms of the flow of this morning's sermon. So listen as I read. I'm simply going to read the first two Proverbs that you see before you. This is God's holy word. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you may or not, may not know this, but did you know that the word gullible is not found in the dictionary? No, really, really, it's not. I remember <laughs> as a junior high boy uh, asking that question, making that statement to some of the sweetest, most naive junior high classmates at my school. At the very outset of our study of the book of Proverbs, way back in June, we looked at the first several verses of this book. And there were four general categories of people that we talked about the book of Proverbs being uh, directed at. The fool, the wise, the young, and the simple. Pretty much covers everyone. The fool, we talked about, is often described, though not exclusively, as one who is rebellious in his stance towards the Lord and towards whatever the Lord has to say. The young are those who really simply just don't know any better. They haven't learned the ways of the world. They haven't learned the ways of the Lord. And then, there is the simple. And it's the simple that I want to begin this morning by examining. You see, the simple should know better. They aren't necessarily young. It's not that they just haven't learned the ropes. They aren't necessarily in foolish rebellion to the Lord and His ways, and yet they refuse, for whatever reason, to allow God to speak into their lives and give them the ability to discern. And so they're simple. We might say in modern vernacular, they're naive. They're gullible. We've been looking at wisdom these past weeks, and the fact that wisdom is so much more than simply the collection of knowledge. Certainly it takes amount of knowledge. Say it takes a certain amount of knowledge to be wise, but it is that application of knowledge to specific contexts that we're after. And simple, the simple, examining the simple is closely related to wisdom in general. And it's the first face that I want us to look at this morning. And it it brings us to the first truth. Those kids who are taking notes, here's our first point of the day, our first truth. And it's simply this. The way of wisdom is a life of discernment. 
The way of wisdom is a life of discernment. What does the proverb say? The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Of course, we would say that this makes sense. This is common sense. I mean, this this applies to all areas of life. We all need discernment, whether you're a follower of the Lord Jesus or not. But as I sit here and proclaim God's Word to you this morning, as you sit there as the church, I want you to receive the call to discernment as the church. God's Word is given to you, His people. And as He calls you to a life of wisdom, He calls you to leave a simple mind behind and become a people of discernment. Now what do I mean by discernment? What do the Scriptures mean by discernment? Discernment. There are a lot of good books that I can recommend to you from a Christian worldview about discernment, but let me just give one definition from one of those books. Discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's Word for the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. Discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's Word with the purpose of separating truth and error from right and wrong. It is what King Solomon prayed for when he prayed in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And the Lord gave him that discernment. We all need discernment. We all need to give thought to our steps, to anticipate danger. But especially, especially we in the church. You see, as I thought about this week, as I thought about this this week, as I thought about these Proverbs, as I read I think that we in the church, we can suffer from one of two extremes. On one extreme, we at times in the church can have this this bubble mentality where we shield ourselves from the world around us. We either reject it outright or we take what we see in the world and we try to to sanitize it and, and to make it safe, to make it sterile. And when this doesn't work, we just... We cover our ears and and say, la, 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 in hopes that it would go away. And then the other extreme is, we're not discerning at all. We just eat whatever we see. We completely deny that there is danger all around us. And therefore, we put no filter between us and the world. And we often do this when we compartmentalize our lives. When we're Christians here in this hour, on this day, and then we go to work tomorrow morning and we, we forget about the Gospel and it means nothing to us. See, neither of these are discernment. Sure, there are things in our world that we just need to outright reject and flee from. But discernment, the biblical call to discernment, recognizes and faces the dilemmas in our world and yet seeks and strives to think Christianly about it. 
See, this is simply nurturing, developing a Christian mind in all things. Never do we say, simply because everyone else in the world is doing it. And it's not just a skill that we must have as we look at the world around us, but it's a skill that we need in the church as well. I mean, that's the context that the writer of the Hebrews says in his letter. He says it's a mark of Christian maturity. Hebrews 5.14 Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that's Paul's call to your elders, to me, to Phil, to Theo. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The Gospel is at stake. You must discern the dangers that lurk not only in the world, but in the church of Christ. It's a call for me, it's a call for your elders, and it's a call for you who represent the name of Christ to be discerning, to leave a simple mind. Discernment's a gift that we ought to pray for. It's a skill that we ought to practice. But it begins simply with recognizing that it's something that we need. That it's the way of wisdom. That counterfeits abound in the world. That counterfeits creep into the church. And we don't blindly accept things. We must hold everything up to the light. They don't hold $50 and $100 bills up to the light anymore. I've noticed that when I paid for things. They use markers now. And they draw on them to test their authenticity. And for us, people of God, that ink, that testing is God's Word. We must saturate ourselves with God's thoughts and God's heart. We must slow down. We must listen to His Spirit and test everything and be discerning. I could go into a host of examples of ways that we have failed to be discerning in the church. But I'm not going to go there. I'm going to trust that the Spirit is going to bring to light those places in your life where you have lacked discernment, where you have rushed in when you ought to have slowed down. Well, there's another face that I want us to see this morning. Another grove of trees. And it's the second truth this morning. The way of wisdom is a life of self-control. The way of wisdom is a life of self-control. Listen to that second group of Proverbs there. Proverbs 17.27 Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Just look at our world around us. Terrorism, domestic violence, road rage, 
Phrases like, oh, he's a ticking time bomb. You don't want to get close to him. Or she's got a short fuse. Make sure you give her space. We live in an angry world. But it's not just those things on the the evening news. It's not just out there. It's in here. It's my blow-up this week at my kids for their unnecessary interruptions. Preparing for this very sermon. It's my frustration with that driver who's making me late to my appointment. It's the anger in my heart. It's the anger in your heart. You don't have to be genetically disposed to be a hothead or to have a temper to have anger be an issue in your life. We are all angry people. And anger is part of our world because sin is part of our world. And we are sinners and yet we are, in Jesus Christ, free from that slavery. We are called to, I love what the writer says here, we're called to have cool spirits. Cool spirits. The one who has that is a man of understanding. In contrast to the hothead, the book of Proverbs, and throughout the Scriptures, we learn that the way of wisdom is one of self-control. It's one of restraint. It's one of patience. Ecclesiastes 7.9 Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. I think if I asked you, you would say, that, yeah, you want that. You don't want to be thought of as an angry person. You don't want your kids to think of you as an angry person. But let's think for a moment about where anger comes from and how we can prevent it. And to do that, I think we have to go to the New Testament. Turn with me, if you'd like, to the book of James. James chapter 4. James, the brother of Jesus, speaks about the angry heart and gives us help in living this life of wisdom, this life of self-control. In James chapter 4, he hones in on what is the heart of an angry heart, we might say. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You see, at the heart of a life that lacks self-control, at the heart of a life that is angry, is self as simple as that. You desire. You covet. You don't get. David Pallison, a great author and counselor, says it simply in one of these articles that he writes. He sums it up in one phrase. Anger is simply saying, I'm against that. I'm against that. And we would say, certainly, anger... And that phrase, I'm against that, can be used in contexts 
that are righteous. Real wrongs in our lives. But I think if we think about the last five times we were angry, chances are none of those contexts were righteous contexts. He continues, the DNA of anger, he writes, is not a heightened pitch of emotion. It's not a surge of adrenaline. It's not any particular way of expressing anger. It's about displeasure. We are against what stands in the way of us. Our pleasure, our reputation, our control. This is why we live in an angry world, because we are self-centered people. We live in a world of self-centered people. And that's the heart of the issue here in Proverbs. That's the first thing we've got to understand on the path to living a self-controlled, wise life. That's the problem, but what's the solution? Well, we begin with the forest. Being captured and controlled by who He is. By the power of the risen Christ that resides in each of you. And recognizing that He is sovereign. That He is holy. And that He is of greatest worth. And so every obstacle that is put in your way, in your supposed path of happiness, is ultimately from Him and His hand. And it's an opportunity for you and me to treasure Him above myself. I mean, God simply asks the angry heart, do you have a right to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry? In a sense, we could say that God has every right to be angry. God has every right to be filled with wrath, and yet we read of Him as He proclaims Himself in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love for thousands. And of course, the Gospel takes us deeper and further. It's because of Jesus that the anger of God and the wrath of God has been appeased. And it's because of that love for us that we can have hope. And so the next time you are tempted to get angry because your rights have been violated, you need to remember the One who gave up all of His rights for you. That's the Gospel. And it's only through Jesus that you can live a life of wisdom. It's only through Jesus that as Proverbs 19 says, you can overlook an offense. How else could you overlook an offense? If you don't remember your Lord who hung on a cross and said, forgive me, forgive them for they know not what they do. Second Corinthians 5.14, Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. The only way we're going to live a life of wisdom and self-control that's slow to anger and not a life that is hasty is if our love for God through Jesus 
is greater than our love for ourselves. It's the only way. Well, the way of wisdom is a life of self-control. The way of wisdom is a life of discernment. But there's one last group of verses here. Look Look as I read Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 26. Very familiar picture that many of us know from this book. The writer says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The sluggard says, There is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on its bed. The sluggard buries his hands, his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. It's appropriate that on the day before celebrating our labor, we focus on the sluggard. The one who doesn't want to labor. And that's the last face I want us to see in the last point this morning is the way of wisdom is a life that diligently works. The way of wisdom is a life that diligently works. I just read an article this week that reported on a study that has just come out in our nation. It stated that more than a third of the U.S. population, just over 110 million Americans, are now receiving government assistance. Now I know full well, and I recognize that many of those Americans legitimately need help, and they need assistance. But what shocked me is that it's also true in the midst of these staggering numbers that 35 states in our union, it is more advantageous to be on welfare than to work full time. It's just a reminder that the system is broken. That's just our nation. The fact of the matter is, the system is broken, yes, but before the system was broken, it came from hearts that were broken. From hearts that don't want to work. From hearts that suffer from this innate lure to laziness. We all feel it. We work in our world Monday through Friday in order to play Saturday and Sunday. We work between the ages of 18 and 65 and not beyond in order to play for the rest of our days. The Bible prods us in a different direction. And this is, boy, this is a subject that we could launch into for weeks. The Bible proclaims that we were made to work. That work defines us. That we are made to work and work defines us because we are image bearers of a God who works. You know, if you look at ancient, other ancient texts, 
that give explanation for how the world came about and how the circumstances of our world came about. Those other ancient texts like to say that work is a result of the evil in the world. The Bible doesn't say that. Work existed before evil entered the world. The evil made work hard. The evil brought the thorns and the thistles. But you and I were made to work. And now as a result of the fall, we all have that lure to laziness. The struggle of the sloth. The struggle of the sluggard who fails to see the significance of work. Who's preoccupied with recreation and worthless pursuits. And then as the as the writer vividly tells us, is full of excuses. There's, there's a lion in the streets. You can't go to work today. What does the Proverbs do? What does wisdom tell us? It takes the smallest creature in our world, the ant, and it says, there. There is your model. The one who works hard. The one who prepares for the future. And as a result... His way is rewarded. Not just with provision. Going back to our sermon last week about wealth and about how God blesses those who work hard. But also satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 5.12 Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. The way of wisdom is a life that diligently works. Something our kids need to learn desperately in our world. And let me also say this. I recognize that many of us sit here and we have moms sitting here who aren't in the workforce and yet are the hardest workers among us. And Proverbs talks about you, doesn't he? Proverbs extols moms who work hard at home, and in the church, and in their communities. Proverbs 31, that woman is a woman that ought to be praised. Whether we work at home, whether we work in the workforce, whether we work in the community of God's people, we work hard to the glory of God as working for Him and not for men. It's the way of wisdom. Well, let me close with this. I want to close with work gone awry, we might say. Because I suspect that many of us in here, I know many of you, most of you, and I know that most of you don't struggle with laziness in your work. But I know that some of you struggle with idolatry in your work. And although this is the opposite of a slugger, this ought to be addressed as well. For the Bible calls us to balance, to work hard, but not to idolize our work. And in one sense, we could say that idolatry to work hard, that innate desire to just pour ourselves into work, works itself into the rest of this sermon, into the rest of these faces. What I mean is it's not the perfectly discerning, it's not the consistently self-controlled. 
It's not the diligent alone that receive good news this morning. Because there's an innate part of all of us that wants to not only make an idol of our work in this world, but also wants to work for our acceptance with God. And in a sermon like this, where we're confronted with our character, just like Psalm 15 says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? We are humbled. We are discouraged. Don't leave here discouraged. Leave here empowered by the one who discerned perfectly, who lived a life of self-control before the Father, and who worked hard, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's only through Him, it's only through the Lord Jesus, it's only through the, the Gospel that we can live This life of wisdom in these three faces. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Great and mighty God, we are thankful for your word this morning that prods us in the way we ought to go, that guides us and illumines for us your path, the way of wisdom. And Father, we feel our weakness. We may feel success in some of these areas, and yet... Even that success may need to be tempered. Father, I pray that Your Spirit would now take this Word and apply it to each of our hearts as You see fit for the glory of Your name, for the good of Your church, for the proclamation of Your Gospel, and for the spread of Your kingdom. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.